left fielders. This is the Infielder Spotlight Podcast, powered by Left Field Investors. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Welcome to the Infielder Spotlight episode, where one of our infielders share their story with host Chad Ackerman. Listen in to gain insights from our community on how to create financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the LFI Spotlight. I'm your host, Chad Ackerman. And today we got a little bit different, a pivot for the spotlight. We've pulled in one of our preferred partners from Accountable Equity. Today we've got Josh McCallum with us. Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Chad, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's always a pleasure to be able to connect with you and the energy you bring to our group is great. We appreciate the support you've given us left field through the years, helping us get going, giving us good advice. We've really enjoyed the partnership we've had with you. So great way to pay you back is, is bring you on the, on the podcast every now and again, let you share. Well, it's an honor. I mean, I, I remember when you guys were uh, getting going, the group of five, is that what it was? Your fabulous five. And you guys had a wonderful idea and just a community that brings exposure to this whole other type of investing. Some might call it investing as if you're in left field, right? There you go. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sadly, none of us are baseball fans, but we love the name and we've had to just run with it now. So, you know, but anyway. I appreciate you coming on. We got you on today because you've been kind of doing a pivot and making some changes in your world, too, that we wanted to share with the community just to see if there's interest in everything else. So we're hoping you could come on and talk about, I think it's been coined value adverse turnaround investing. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit about what that is exactly. You know, over the years, for those who us who haven't met me, my background is just a hardworking dude, right? So a hardworking guy that worked for got exposed to a lot of the things we now talk about regularly at Left Field Investing, which is alternative investing primarily through real estate and creating value or forced appreciation. I was exposed to it by watching and helping lead as a managing partner a very wealthy family office's business, okay? And you know how it is for those families that have maybe had resources for longer than you and I, they've learned things. And that's why podcasts like LFI are here because it, we're trying to condense time frames for those listening today. And during those times of being around a family office and working for them for almost 15, actually 16 years, I guess almost 15 years. So, so that's my backstory. And then over the years, I learned just like you did about syndication over the last five, six years. It was actually not how I thought things worked because when you work for a family, family, a rich family office, a wealthy family office, they actually usually bring their own capital. And the idea of letting partners in is a bad idea. Typically, you and I are boxed out, right? There's no way you and I can get involved in an individual family office's deal because they're not looking for it. It's a different idea. So when I ran the company for them, you know, we never even talked about raising money. So later, as things matured for me and we had a chance to exit after a very successful business venture with the with them as a sweat equity partner, I was able to learn how to raise capital. And during that time, the key word I used to always talk about was value add investing. And value add investing, for those of us listening, is like it feels like I wouldn't want to buy anything but value add. 
I think that's the theory that you're buying something that has an intrinsic value higher than what you're paying for it, but you're buying it cheap because there's a problem. I think that's a nice, simple way to define value. I think. I think that covers it. I think people get the idea of it around what you're talking about in that shape. So, yeah, I think you're good. And then over the years, we've been building out these businesses, fixing up businesses like um, what we do a lot of is buy real estate for associated with resorts. But we have a lot of opportunities to add value. So it's become clear to me that we might want to call our terminology a little different. We, of course, we have value add investing. But maybe it's even more than that, and it's called turnaround investing. And this is something you hear more about with companies, right? You hear private equity comes in, buys a failing company, and turns it around. Yeah, yeah. I'm honored and grateful to see that the projects we're doing have both. They have value-add investing, which means fix up the real estate and make it worth more. And then they have business turnaround opportunity, which I think can be explosively powerful because it's like, a cherry on top. So that's the basis, but I'll let you ask me questions. Well, let's go say, so that's that the biggest point is the value add probably ties more into just being able to fix up that single property to get it to flip. It's basic. I kind of view it as a burr method for bigger investments than a single family home, if you will. I think a lot of people are familiar with burr, right? It's it's a little longer term. It's not, you know, quite as quickly as the single family, but the turnaround investing that you're now kind of pivoting towards, that's bigger than that. This isn't just turn it around, sell it, move on to the next one. This is more building your own portfolio, correct? Is that fair to? That's a fair. Wow. That, you just brought up something that I don't usually talk about, but you threw out the word portfolio and portfolio can be seen as, and you're right. There is a little more to this and the listeners, hopefully you're treadmilling as I joke or you're driving and you're enjoying the banter and we're going to go in a little bit of meat and potatoes here. So hopefully that's good for you. Portfolio and talking about turnaround. So we're going to share with you briefly, I'm going to use a case study about how value add is powerful and then value add plus turnaround or ultimately call the whole thing turnaround investing, I think has real runway for mega long-term perpetual distribution and perhaps even multiple times of liquidity. Right. And to create contrast, a value add strategy, which would work really well, is a B class or C class apartment building being purchased right below its, its assumed value. And then you go in and you change management practices, increase rents, increase the quality of the fit out, perhaps. And you now force a few hundred dollars extra a month with then forces a new appraisal and you've created value by different management and some construction. And then there may be a liquidity event, as you and I were just talking. And for the most part, you're right. Most of us get into this private investing because we like the idea of getting our money back in five years or less and making money the whole time, cash flowing and getting our money back and making more than that our money. Of course, some people get excited about the burr. Now, the burr strategy also works where you don't sell it, but you get a refinance of a portion of your money or maybe even all your money back. And you've been making money. That's awesome. And what I see with that strategy, and I think I'm going to ask you a question. How many of the projects you've been, what I love about where you sit, Chad, as a part of LFI, if you've watched a lot of deals be presented, you've watched a lot of deals over your lifetime, and it's like your deal flow funnel. There's a lot of things happening around you. What are you seeing? Are you seeing most investors, and maybe we'll talk about pre the last 12 months. 
were most investments of apartments the value add and liquidate or the value add and burr? Hi, this is Zach Hapenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equity. At Rise 48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you. Visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single holistic dashboard. From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return. Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money. Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at visor.co. Prior to 12 months, it felt very bearish to me. It's exactly why I used that term to coin it to explain it to people that understand the single family side, because it was, they build it up, they get a refi, maybe three years into it to finish things out. They get everything rented up to where they want it, fixed up, rented up where they wanted, and then they'd sell and liquidate and you get your money back if you hadn't gotten it all back in the refi already. Now in the last 12 months, I will say, you know, we're hearing, I, I feel we hear about 10% maybe coming in that talk more about long-term holds. Oh, 90% are still saying sell. I feel like that's the case these days. That It could be pivoting more than that, but I feel like that's the case. But okay. prior to that, it didn't feel like we heard about that at all. So a 10% increase is still a, a big increase when it was kind of unheard of. You know, of like one of the questions that would come up on the webinars as we're presenting multifamily deal would be, when do you expect to sell? Do you think you'll sell it in two years? Because the market was so hot. Do you think you can get rid of it in three years? And of course, you know, there's no commitment. The hold is five to seven, you know, usually uh, as predicted on the PPM. But so it's, I feel there is a bit of a change. I assumed economy driven, but maybe it's logic driven. Like you guys are finding a, a new strategy, maybe. Yeah, for us, I'll bear all the different struggles and strengths that are going on in my world. The struggles are lenders are not as forgiving and loving as they used to be. So burring is harder for everybody, but more difficult in our asset classes, which are alternative to uh, multifamily. Usually we do apart, uh, hotels and resorts. Okay, so let me go back. You also mentioned the word portfolio, and this is part of the answer to I'm surprised it's not more apartment people that you meet that aren't will, interested in holding longer. Then maybe that's because they don't get as much of a portfolio lift as I think our investors get from resorts. But let's talk about their reason for changing does have some overlap with my reason for changing. Their overlap in, in apartments is that the lending cost is more expensive. Therefore, values are not going to inflate as much as they had been in the last three years. And let's step back and explain that, friends. Friends, countrymen, lend me your ear. What happens in the world of the economy that I've watched, and you have too, uh, been able to, many of you LFIers have watched a ton of deals, is as lending is liquid and easy, 
values shoot through the roof because the debt is not even much of a factor. And so it doesn't really impact, or let's go back 14 months. It didn't actually play big roles in the profits that they were, that wasn't going to be impacting their profits. The whole thing that was going to be impacting their profits was their business plan. Now with higher cost lending, more restrictions, lower loan to values, now, all of a sudden, the lending constraints have actually devalued or lowered the appreciable value of the same buildings that could have appreciated much quicker last year. This is contrarian thinking because a year or two ago, I went to many of those webinars as well from other groups, and the theory was right. Remember, Chad, two years ago, everything was about the shortage of housing, which is true. There's no doubt about it in my mind. The fact that it's not getting cheaper to build, therefore, if we buy this for $100,000 $100, a key, a door, then it'll be worth more than $100,000. It'll be cost more than $100,000 to build it, so it'll go up in value. That is also still true. But the problem has become the yield is not as good. So even though those two fundamental things are still true, very hard to build, there's still a shortage, the yield is constricting, meaning the people that are willing to pay you a lot of money to buy your multifamily after you fix it are smaller. There's less of them. And it's because they can't get as much debt. Therefore, they have to put more equity. The more equity they put in, the lower it creates yield for them. So there's less buyers, perhaps, and less pressure. So what they thought they could inflate quickly as a, a multifamily person, they're finding they're just the market changed. And even though the fundamentals are still true, the fact is leverage has changed the entire economics. Okay. So now go to this idea of turnaround for just a moment. So a turnaround business is its own asset. The real estate is also an asset. And, you know, from our point of view, we don't, we typically have always succeeded at buying drive to resorts that have multiple revenues. And that's why so many LFIers are my partners. I would say 50 plus. And so are 300 other people plus. So it's because they see that as an operational team. So we're more focused on operations than most people. Like this is where we think the money is made. You and I love construction. I just showed you we were building something right outside my office. Yeah, we're building and we're always in construction. We love it. That's a major value add direct contribution, right? Because when I, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump into a hundred things at once, but when an appraiser comes out next year, the first thing they're going to say is how much did you spend on construction? And that's going to help them value this building I'm sitting in more. So I like construction. I'm not against it if it adds value. But the turnaround thing, we feel it was like we were burying the lead a couple of years ago. The lead was we're going to fix this building up. It's going to look great. It's going to be worth more. Well, the, the bigger story actually became that we're making money on the business and we have more ways to make money on the business. So the turnaround has provided its own intrinsic value as well as the appraised value. And so what are we doing? We're basically saying to our investors, if we were to do the old-fashioned BRRR, the BRRR, that is based on the idea of pulling back every dollar of equity out you can, which is awesome for us investors. What does it do to the project? Well, if you're flipping it, it doesn't matter. Just let's go. Maybe next year we're selling it, so that's fine. But what if you could sell twice as many things next year if you kept the money in? More money in the business allows you to continue to grow the business. I know it seems maybe not self-evident, but maybe it does. If we strip the money out, hiring has to stop. New experiences have to stop. Why? Because we got to stabilize. It's called stabilization. And you got to hold fast. As soon as you do a, a debt refinance and pull everything out, you kind of have to hold the line. Every time you try to do one new thing, it takes new capital. And you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to hold the line. So for us, 
Focusing on turnaround means more revenue cash flow levers. I think it has a longer runway for perpetual benefit. And the thing I'll say, and I'll shut up after this, is the word portfolio. And this is just a reflection for us LFIers. I always used to think of the word portfolio as me, meaning Melanie and I bought a single family. Then we bought a, this, and we have a portfolio. That is one great use of the term portfolio. Okay. Awesome. There's another thing to remember. When you build a portfolio of assets that have complementary benefits, you actually force another level of appreciation. It's called contracted cap rates. So the more of these kinds of high cash flowing contractual revenue resorts we build over time that have made it through the pandemic, made it through these recessions, the more compressed an outsale price would be, meaning more compressed a cap rate. So this is a really cool thing. It's a portfolio effect. And so not that this is our business plan, folks. Our business plan is to let the investors who join us have long-term cash flow, as well as refinances on occasion, maybe numerous over the lifetime. But that what will be happening from an appraised point of view is it'll keep knocking off fractions of cap rate, which what that does is it then creates an, an appraised value lift. So for example, if they say private equity would be to buy these whole portfolio out at a premium, because it's an operating business with long track record and long contracts, they will pay more money for that business than they would for one-off. So, and this, this is probably true in the world of multifamily as well, but you never hear anybody talking about it. Yeah, you don't. You really don't. So what we're doing is, it's interesting. I mean, it's because maybe the influences that have been on me, we were always aware that there's multiple capital hacks, as they say, in the world. This is just a hack. By owning multiple assets that are all businesses with real estate, the appraised value will get better because we have multiple. Anyway, it's an interesting thing. I mean, the what I'm hearing at it is you're taking one of your exit strategies, which is the hold, and you're amplifying it. And you're putting a bigger focus instead of it being plan B, because usually plan A has been to sell in most of these situations. You're making it plan A almost and putting a bigger emphasis on it. And that's very intriguing. It's very interesting. Left Field is a community of limited partner, like-minded investors wanting to be limited partners. Maybe you speak to how a limited partner would view this and how it may operate different for them than their norm. It's a great way to, another way to diversify, another way to, maybe you could speak to that some as well. Yeah. By the way, Chad, it's awesome, man. Thank you. And if you want me to ever cut off, just say, hey, Josh, I got another one for you. The answer is this, in my opinion. From the beginning, thank God, Chad, I'd always said we were building a portfolio of assets and that we wanted our investors along for the ride. And as a matter of fact, some investors joined us from the beginning because we were not asking them to leave and be bought out or sold. And some investors appreciate that. As a matter of fact, Steve Sue said to me in my last call, who's part of Alify, of course, he said it actually appeals to him that he doesn't have to go out and find somebody else he wants to work with every number of months. So I never even thought about that until he said it, but it's a challenge for you as an individual investor, a limited, because each time you make a private investment, this is the first part of every phone call I have with new investors, you're committing to us as people. And of course, it's because of you like the project, but every private investment is truly a commitment. You're making Mr. and Mrs. Limited Partner into a person and a decision-making leadership team. And it always is 
a serious situation. Like you got to either get to know them or have some way to reference them because it's so private. These deals are private. And that's what left field investors has. You get my point? So some people actually see that as a positive of having the chance to have cash flow for a long time. Yeah, kind of the way I, again, this is how I dumb down things and give it the layman's terms. We want to be passive investors as LPs, but it's an active element to go out and find a sponsor to invest with. The situation you're talking about with the lifetime investing, it makes me even more passive than I would be if I was chasing all the sale deals all the time and then have to re-up. And to some people, that's an asset to invest for a lifetime in a deal with a sponsor that they know, like, and trust. And I don't have to go revet a sponsor every five years or whatever the case may be. So I see that as an asset in some cases, for sure. And you know what that is? You just said in some cases, one of the things learning that has I've learned over the years, going from the family office world to the direct investor world and letting people join us as partners, and we're so excited about it, is they're not all built the same way. So, Chad, I actually thought everybody was like, pedal to the metal, take my 100 grand and give me back 150 right away. But actually, some people are not into that. They'd much rather say, may I have a check every month? So we have investors that buy debt, and they like the fact that we're operating the debt, we're operating the assets that produce the cash, and they just want a monthly check. They want their money back when they need it back, but they want a monthly check. They're actually not, and not everybody is going to do it the same way every time. I I didn't realize that. I guess I was more naive. You and I think of like everybody wanted to hit a home run every time, but people sometimes want stability. And second LP comment, I just did a research. I got a great email and I, I followed up and read all about it from Yield Street, which is a public platform all about private investing though. And they said last year's market on average reduced people's portfolios went down between 15 to 19%, I guess, based on their sampling. And they had all the footnotes and the groups that were with them though, because they're private investment access hovering around a 7% yield. So the market had, which is private, usually just equities not producing yield went down on face value at 19 and their stud stayed steady at producing a 7% yield. And that's the second reason people like getting involved in what we're talking about. Because the buildings technically aren't going down in value. I might not be able to double their value every two years, but there's a lot of stability in real estate. And then there's a lot of stability in contractual contract revenue and businesses. Especially the business you guys are in. I mean, that you guys are booked out how far in advance. So you have a long runway to play with that you can plan on already and everything else. So that helps immensely, I imagine, too. So those are some thoughts. And the last thing I'll say, uh, last thing I'll say, the third thing that crosses my mind is we've kind of settled into a sweet spot for some investors. Now we're talking about their portfolio. We're not shooting to double your money every couple of years. We're not that aggressive. We are looking to get you cash flow. We've never missed an annual distribution. And we're yielding at cash flow plus appreciation. We're yielding in this low double digit. So that's super respectable. The cash flow is in the high single digits and the yield is in the double digit. So you know, we're sitting in a nice sweet spot for people's portfolios. We're not as low as a kind of a no risk thing. And we're not as high as a crazy idea. Right. There you go. You're somewhere in between that. That's a good benchmark to be in the middle of, I think, right there. Uh, This is good stuff. I think it's interesting to think through. It's a different strategy to be trying to diversify my own portfolio into potentially that rounds out, creates some extra, maybe some risk mitigation and so forth. That allows me to go play with the crazy equity bumps and 
look for some home runs while I've got the security of something like your your offerings and so forth. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Anything we missed? Anything that we didn't cover that we needed to hit on? There, you and I are going to do some cool stuff coming up soon. We're looking to get to know more. Of course, currently all of the things we ever publish have been for accredited investors only because they're fully marketed. But in the future, almost immediately, we'd like to build a large people we want to build long-term relationships with that are not yet accredited. So sophisticated, unaccredited, our goal is to build up hundreds of wonderful families that we build a long-term relationship with. And then privately, they might be able to get some offerings as well. Yes. No, I'm excited about this. Josh brought this idea to us just recently. And it was Jim and I on the phone. We kind of both looked at each other and like, why on earth didn't we think of this a long time ago? So Josh is pioneering for us, and we appreciate that. More to come. we got to figure out what this is exactly, but I think it's a really good thing that I think a lot of community members will get their arms around and really like. So I'm excited about it. Well, I thank you. Thank you for all the work you do. We told Josh if he didn't want to participate, we we're going to steal it from him. So we'd much rather have his brain on this anyway. So <laughs> God bless you guys. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I can't wait to get Thank out you. to Ohio. Yes. See you founders. Hopefully, you know, I, I'm, I'm out there this year again, probably to, for my son. My son goes to Franciscan oh, University that's right. out there. That's right. Yeah. We'll have to figure out a way to get together while you're here. So I would love it. I'm sure we'll bump into you sometime soon, but. I appreciate you coming on. Really enjoyed the podcast and getting to hear a little bit more about this. So good stuff. Thanks for sharing. Thank you, Chad. Absolutely. And thank you to everybody that listened today. We always appreciate that as well. And we will see you next time on the Spotlight. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place. So you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at tribevest.com. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably already thinking about ways to generate income passively and to reduce your tax burden. But did you know that you can retain more of your W-2 income by investing in oil and gas? As you might know, my income is generally passive. But if you're a high-wage earner who still gets a large portion of your income from a W-2 job, this investment opportunity could help you hold on to more of your hard-earned money, which means you have the chance to make more passive investments. Billy Keels and the team at First Generation Capital Partners are experienced with investing in this sector, and they have a free Free download available for our listeners who want to learn more. To find out just how much you could save by investing in oil and gas, head to firstgencp.com slash LFI pay less tax and download your free guide. Thanks for hanging out in the infield with us today. If you're interested in becoming an infielder, you can find us at leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email directly at chad at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. 
This show was copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.